Hello there again. This is uh, Christianity 101, walking through the Baptist Catechism. We've gone through questions one, two, and three. Last week we asked the uh, question about how can we know there is a God, and we talked about how the light of nature and man, the works of creation, providence, uh, plainly declare there is a God, but only his word and spirit uh only do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. So we know now we can, who is this first and chiefest being? Uh, how can we know him? And now we know that we can know him by the word of God and the spirit of God. And whenever the spirit of God takes the word of God and applies it to our hearts and to the minds of sinners, they come to know the living and the true God for who he is and who they are. So this leads us to question four. What is the word of God? Answer, the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God and the only certain rule of faith and obedience. Again, question four, what is the word of God? Answer, the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God and the only certain rule of faith and obedience. Now, the word of God, first of all, it, it, as we think about this, they are obviously the scriptures, the writings of both the Old and the New Testaments. Now, this is very important for us, right? Because both Testaments are equally the word of God. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says, all scripture, not simply some, but all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It also tells us, right, that the word of God was given by God through holy men. It was uh, that, that they are inspired, they are the word of God. They were given by God for, for instance, again, 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, note here, Peter's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. So he's saying the Old Testament scriptures are inspired by God because they were men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Or again, we see in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. So not only did God inspire the Old Testament scriptures, but he did the New as well, where Jesus Christ gives John, just as Jesus Christ gave to all of the New Testament writers, the, the, the inspiration by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. And then if we were to go and talk to those men themselves, the writers of scripture and ask them, is what you're writing the word of God? They would have said, of course, uh, to Samuel 23, three, uh, David says this, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, notice David's saying, God told me this. And he's, he's not meaning it just in some willy nilly way. He's saying, this is exactly what I'm giving you is scripture. Or again, Peter writing in 2 Peter 1.16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He said, we, we, we did not make this stuff up and we weren't deceived. 
we were eyewitnesses and we told you and wrote to you exactly what God showed to us. Or again, 1 John 1, 3, this is the Apostle John. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Or again, we read in Acts 26, 26, For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. So the things of God that are written in the Scripture that were given by God through holy men are things that were not like done secretly off in some corner. Even unbelievers saw the events happen. For instance, Jesus' crucifixion, um, his resurrection. Um, we're told about those soldiers, right, who fell down at the tomb of Christ um, and so on. Uh, there were unbelievers that even saw these things happen and saw the effects of them. And so even unbelievers can give some testimony to the what is found in the word of God is true and from God. But also the word of God, which is given by God through holy men, is confirmed by miracles. It's confirmed by the fact that it's sent to all the world. And it's also confirmed by the blood of the martyrs. For instance, it was confirmed by miracles. Hebrews 2, 4, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It was confirmed by the fact that it went through all the world. Romans ten eighteen says their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And then lastly, there were people that were confirmed this word by sealing it with their own blood. Revelation 6, 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So scripture is the Old and New Testaments. It's given by God through holy men, confirmed by these miracles, confirmed by its reception and proclamation in the whole world, and confirmed by blood, by the blood of the martyrs. And lastly, it is the only rule of faith and obedience. So when we read the Bible, the Bible is the only standard, the only, uh, the final written judge by which we are to um, determine how we are to live and what we are to believe as, as Christians. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word lights our path and shows us the way we ought to walk. Now, it's a rule. In other words, it's a standard. It's like a ruler, right, which measures things. So if you want to measure your what you're believing, or if you want to measure what you, uh, how you ought to act or how we ought to worship, the Bible is like a ruler that helps us to, to see and to guide us in the right paths. It's a necessary rule because All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Isaiah 53, verse 6. It's a sufficient rule. The law of the Lord is perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7. It's an extensive rule. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 96 says this. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. It's an abiding rule. It doesn't just fade and go away. Uh, 1 Peter one twenty three. since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It is also, lastly, it's the only rule. It's the only standard that we have, the final judge. 
Jesus writes this in Revelation 22, or, or tells John to write this in Revelation 22, 18 through 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. It is the only rule that we have to follow. So when we want to know, well, what should I believe? Or what is God telling me? Or how should I live? We have final supreme trust in the fact that God has spoken to us and he's put that word in these writings of the Old and New Testament. It is God talking to us. These writings come from the mouth of God. So no other rule, no other rule comes alongside of Scripture. No unwritten traditions, no authority of the church, no wisdom of men, no even sentiments or ideas of even great men, worthy men. Not even the light of nature, our own ideas, our own desires are sufficient. Not even the examples of people that we may look up to. Not even an angel from heaven or what they might say to us, and not even a voice from heaven. None of those things are rules to us. Only the written word of God, where he speaks to us and opens his mouth every time. And the Spirit of God takes those things and seals them on our hearts. So we should receive the scriptures, embrace them, and walk by them. Let's read together this article called Biblical Inerrancy in a Postmodern World by Grant Klimbara. If we're rediscovering anything about ourselves in the 21st century, it may be this. We are all storytellers at heart. A relevant story told by an authentic voice captures our attention and can move our hearts, change our minds, and even redirect our behavior. Emotional and aesthetic appeal are important factors in the modern man's decision-making process. That we've said is rooted in a long history of storytelling. We see this in the life of the Christian. Our personal narrative is placed high on a pedestal. To find indicators of faith, we may even ask to hear a testimony, the narrative of your, of your life journey and how you lived in sin for a time, but then turned it around as a Christ follower. We want to know about your personal relationship with Jesus and if you are growing closer to him. How is he leading you? Where are you experiencing him? We use these responses to make sense of the world. And while we love our own stories of trial and triumph, we, still, we, will, still disagree, we will still agree that the Bible is the best story of all. It tells us about the God-man who defeated evil and saved us. It is an expression of God himself. It shows us how to live our lives here on earth and paints a beautiful picture of what eternal paradise will be. As a spiritual and moral guide, the Bible is our truth. But press no further on the historical but press further on the historicity of the Bible, and we start to get fidgety. There's no real need to inspect its more earthly material, we suggest. Much of it is allegorical and myth-like, so who can say what it is and what isn't real? We don't need to defend all of its historical claims about supernatural events or locations or any of that. Some of this material has been explained by modern science, and we know that's not really the point anyway. The truth of the story is in the narrative. So why do we insist that the Bible is free from error in every way? How important is it really? Until the 18th century, the authority of the Bible was seldom challenged. However, the age of reason broke the streak. 
Throughout the Enlightenment period, a series of philosophers, such as Hume, Voltaire, and Adam Smith, spoke in unison against the written account. Miracles do not happen. Nature, not God or scripture, is our guide for morality and truth. This line of thinking rippled throughout the next few centuries and led to a logical series of so-called deaths. Dr. John Warwick Montgomery outlines these in his lectures, Sensible Christianity. First, God was killed. Next, the Bible was killed. Then man was killed. Is truth now wrapped in the hangman's noose? In postmodernity, it can feel like that. But when we take a closer look, even committed relativists know some objective truths exist. Even they assume facts exist that correspond with reality. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to jump in their cars and follow Google Maps to the office in the morning. This line of thinking is inoperable in everyday life. Even merely saying something like, all truth is relative, or everyone has their own truth can't get us very far either. This declaration immediately contradicts itself by making an objective claim about the nature of truth. We see that objective truth does exist, and that it is found outside of us, where claims correspond with facts. Our personal experience and story help determine our beliefs and opinions about truth. Each of us does have a unique story worth telling, but this inward reflection should not be equated with what we know to be objectively true. Since the fall, our emotions, motives, and even our minds have been left faulty and limited. Our experiences, though they are uniquely our own, tend to warp the truth. Where does that leave us? In desperate need of a true revelation. We need something or someone to give us answers to the tough questions. That something must stand up to common inspection, and its claims must line up or correspond with reality. This characteristic is what makes Christianity unique in comparison with the rest of the world's religions. Our faith rests on a historical event, namely Christ's death and resurrection, which can, in principle, be falsified if the right evidence is supplied. When we invite the non-believer to inspect the claims of Christ, we invite them to check out the reliability of the New Testament documents using common historical, scientific, and legal methods. The evidence overwhelmingly supports the reliability of the Gospels, especially when we compare them with other texts of antiquity. As C.S. Lewis notes, this pushes us to draw one of three conclusions. Either Christ was a liar, who knowingly deceived his friends and acted contrary to his teachings, a lunatic who was clinically insane, or what he says he was, the Lord. What does any of this have to do with biblical inerrancy? As believers, we approach the Bible in the same manner that Christ, who has proven himself to be God, does throughout his time on earth. When we inspect the evidence, this time within the scriptures, we find numerous examples of Jesus affirming the Old Testament's historicity and authority. Jesus acknowledges creation and Adam and Eve as a historical event which occurred at the beginning. He acknowledges their, their son Abel, a real historical figure who lived. He likewise, he compares Noah and the flood, which he acknowledged as a historical event, with his second coming, and compares the historical occurrence of Jonah and the fish with his resurrection. When tempted by the devil, he does not shy away with prophecies of old, but instead invokes them. Christ does not reduce scripture to mere legend or explain away miraculous stories as mere metaphor. He does not question the author's intent or dismiss difficult passages due to differences in culture. He does not even concede that only its theological parts are inerrant. He holds it up, all of it, as the inerrant source of truth, in all senses, for all humanity. In the New Testament, we find Jesus promises his disciples a full recollection of everything he has taught and done throughout the Holy, through the Holy Spirit. Through, through Peter, we receive these words which bring us confidence that the original autographs were written by God and transcribed by men. 
and we have the prophetic word more fully conformed, confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is why we affirm biblical inerrancy even today. He who is the same yesterday and today and forever revealed himself in history and proved himself to be God. All of scripture must be an inerrant revelation because he declares it to be so. To settle for anything less opens the door for a personal interpretation of Jesus' life and work, which we will always turn into a self-serving, ahistorical figure who fits into our worldview. We do not have the option to pick and choose what we think makes sense. Despite the appearance of our titles, chapters, and verses, all of Scripture is one complete word. Any omission or rejection of it throws the baby out with the bathwater. The concept of biblical inerrancy tends to tie my head into a knot and makes me feel like I'm betraying my own reason. If this happens to you, too, good. We'll both be reminded that we are broken and incapable of knowing objective truth on our accord. Now find peace in the promise Jesus made in Nazareth among his friends and family, who knew him only as a carpenter's son, which is still true for us today. He alone is the fulfillment of Scripture, and that he has set the oppressed free. So Scripture alone is our final authority for faith and for practice. Then we're going to begin next week with asking ourselves about, so are we allowed to use the Bible? The answer, of course, is, of course, yes, most certainly. Join us next week for question five of this uh, Christianity 101. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Take care. God bless.